The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brand you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. All right, we're back. Last uh, episode, Brad and I talked about the epic rise of the SoFi brand where, where he was working in marketing there. Got into Figure's brand building with blockchain. I want to talk a little bit more about Y Combinator and Figure. I got a CMO here who's been in the trenches that built brands from nothing to market and some of the biggest brands in the world. So let's get back into it with Brad Simmons, who's the former CMO at Figure. What's up, brother? I'm doing well. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Right on, dude. Okay, so you got in touch with your next project as a fractional CMO through Y Combinator. What are some of the other brands that have gone through Y Combinator? I, I was trying to talk about them. On uh, our last episode, and I, I just hit a blank, but I know there's a ton. I was involved in a startup that was involved like in the education space from White Combinator, and I just heard nothing but great things. I mentioned Airbnb. Is there any others to kind of give people maybe a taste of kind of that San Francisco tech life and what White Combinator is? Yeah, I think, I don't know if folks are familiar with Brex, which is kind of like a, like a B2B. They work with startups that they're a, what do they call them? A DECA corn? <laughs> Where they... I, I would say DECA. In high school, yeah, the marketing club. Yeah, <laughs> but like some other, and of course, Airbnb came out of Y Combinator, Stripe, Instacart, yep. OpenSea, if you're into the NFT world, Reddit. I mean, everybody knows Reddit. Gusto. That's right. Was Lyft out of there too? Uh, that I don't know. Okay. But yeah, I remember Reddit. Yeah, my buddy was tied to the Reddit guy. I remember he was involved. I remember Airbnb. But and what is Y Combinator? It's, it's like a like an incubator. Do people give founders money? Do they give them advice and support, or like help us understand that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of all of the above, right? Of everything you mentioned. It's an incubator. It's for early stage startups, people that have ideas. They have to apply and get accepted. Then they're given some funding, guidance, uh, a lot of guidance, and just setting them up for success out in the real world when they go to market. So, I mean, it continues to churn out great companies year after year. That's cool. Like a, like a unicorn maker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, talk to us a little bit more about the figures brand building. It's not, like we talked last episode and just by understanding your audience better, you went from, you know, 30% closing with founders to 80%. So people really understanding the, the value proposition Certainly, it sounded like it was differentiated in the space. There really wasn't anything like, is there anything more you want to talk about with Figure and, and the success there of the most recent unicorn? Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that's important is we were very, very diligent about our cost per acquisition and how some of the, I don't know, tactics that we use to build a brand. That's why I call it brand response, right? It's 
being building a brand via direct response as like one element. But think about the direct response channels. So at Figure, we would be sending out anywhere from seven to 10 million direct mail pieces a month, right? To those that are pre-qualified that have home equity and are in a certain credit score range. And on top of that, not only did we do that and get in front of folks into their mailbox, but we would essentially take that data and those data files and we would digitally onboard them and then target these folks on social, target them via display, target them in paid search and target them on connected TV. So you can literally run an ad to the exact same person you just sent a mail or two across any of the digital platforms for uh, for TV. And what we found over, you know, over time is the brand awareness, like we didn't do big NFL football spots and World Series and things like we, we were able to afford at, uh, at SoFi, but we're able to like build that awareness and consideration and get the figure brand in front of the right audience over and over, like multiple times. And that allowed us... What's the know, magic number? Do you have a magic frequency number? Oh, no. <laughs> I wish I did. Because, you know, honestly, like there's folks that, let's say you send a direct, you know, you're sending millions of direct mail pieces out. There's people that will convert when they get it the first time. And then there's people that'll convert when they get it the 15th time. It's kind of all around timing, but to be consistently in front of them when it's time for them to need your product, they know where to go, right? Consideration. Is, is there some CPA numbers based on category or based on revenue potential that like you have in your mind that people should stick to? You know, CPA models have just changed so much. Is there any kind of rule of thumb that that you like to go by when you're kind of considering the, the CPA models? Yeah, I think, it, well, coming from the marketing and, and talking with finance, um, you know, marketing always wants the most wide or broad CPA target because the more you can spend, the more you can do. And I, I kind of break it into categories. There's want to do's and there's have to do's. So if you consistently live in a have to do world with your marketing, then you lose creativity, you lose innovation. It's really about getting to those want-to-dos, and that's where creativity spikes, right? That's where you get to do the cool stuff. That's where you get innovative. That's always been kind of one of my gauges. Like, if you're in, in the have-to-do and you know, you're constantly running around, you're not going to be as productive, innovative as you would if you're doing the want to do's. And is there an attribution model that you use or do you bifurcate your direct response marketing and, and run a CPA model on that and then have all brand marketing people that I know want that fluffy awareness budget, of course. Do you, do you try <laughs> to separate them or do you put them all into one bucket? Mike and I talked forever about... He had, like for example, a, a CFO on his marketing team to really prove out models for performance that, that made the CFO and the other financial people on the board happy is what are your thoughts around that? Is it, do you have two separate or is it, or do you combine it? Yeah. I like to combine it because all the channels work together, right? So demand creation, awareness and consideration building. I look at that as like kind of the top tier there's demand capture, which is the middle tier. And then there's recapture on the bottom, right? And they, there's different channels that fit into those different buckets 
and, but they all work together. And we've seen this. So at one point in my career, I was in an organization where, you know, we had all the channels humming and going and they want us to shut down like three channels because we were actually doing too much business, right? Like we have the capacity in operations to kind of handle what was coming in the door. So we needed to slow it down. And this was an amazing kind of experiment because I was like, I want to see what happens when we do shut the, you know, these channels off. And we did. And once we shut those channels off, the other channels that we kept on got less efficient. So it just proves like, and marketing will say this and to finance, to the board, to, you know, the C-suite, like all these channels work together. Like you can't just turn things on and off. Like marketing is a flywheel, right? And when you stop, when you stop that, you can't just turn it back on. It has to then again, build and get momentum and to keep scaling and growing. So this exercise was, it was exactly what I thought it would do when we did it. And sure enough, it was, it was, you know, one of those things where you shut these demand capture channels off and all of a sudden your metrics go sideways. How do you get predictable metrics on the marketing side? I think, I mean, a lot of it's consistency. You look at your channel distribution, your mix. I think getting predictable is, is having consistency and knowing what levers to push for growth and how that's going to impact other channels. Like as an example, if you're sending 5 million direct mail pieces a month consistently, and then you go to seven or eight, that will increase scale. But you also have to understand the impact that's going to have on other channels. Because people just don't, let's say, get a mailer or watch a TV commercial or hear a radio ad and go directly to the website, right? It might be four or five days later. It might be a month later. And they're not going to come directly to the site. Very few. They'll go come through Google or... Yeah, last uh, attribution. I hate to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, last, the last touch. Yeah, now we'll give that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we found in looking at overlap as an example, and I keep harping on direct mail and people are like, oh, like Brad, stop talking about direct mail. That's so old. When you're in fintech and finance, it works. Especially during COVID. Yeah, especially during COVID. And the thing about it is when you send direct mail, you have a first name, last name, and an address. You can use that onboarded digitally for targeting across multiple channels, including television. Um, and then you can actually know when that person comes to your website because they fill out an application or a form and you've got their first name, last name, email. And you can attribute it back. Okay, when do we last mail this person? Or did they see an ad? And then you can kind of like stitch the things together. And we did that at Figure a lot because we had a great data science team. And it shows there's between all the various channels, direct mail, television, partnerships, and affiliates, like, you know, lending for us, it was like lending tree, bank rates of the world. There's like 30 to 40% overlap in people that we've sent mail that come in through some other channel. And if you looked at it on a last touch basis, you'd be, you know, kind of cheating yourself. That's really cool. I think, and you mentioned connected TV too. I mean, you're talking about a lot of tactics I'm, I'm a big fan of right now too. I mean, direct mail, connected TV. I mean, and even direct mail is the original personalized marketing <laughs> tool out there. And it still works today, especially in fintech. I mean, anyone who's received credit card application or loan application or, you know, refinance or whatever, certainly, you know, probably gotten a letter in the mail. But that's really interesting that, you know, your affiliates then get the credit for the marketing that you're, the awareness and consideration 
they're generating, of course, which is probably maddening to the financial people in the room. But I agree with you on the, fl- the flywheel around marketing. How do you, does it go back to the saying of, you know, I know 50% works, 50% doesn't. I just got to figure out what 50% doesn't. Or like, are you constantly playing with the percent of spend to each channel? Do you start small and you have the right, you know, the right message kind of lightning in a bottle and then you can start playing with percent of spend by tactic and kind of getting the right mix, um, which is kind of your style. Yeah, I think it, it goes back to what we were talking about you know, earlier in the episode is I like to look at it as a blend. And you're right. It's the, you know, I know 50% works. So I just don't know which 50%. I like to like look at the whole pie and say, like, are we hitting our target cost per acquisition? And if we are, then our mix is right. And you can start walking scale up, right? And toggling other channels. Because like I said, there's things like direct mail, television, like you can increase spend on that. But the people are going to come through your demand capture channels, not just straight straight to the site, right? So it's going to boost everything else up. So if you look at it one by one basis or a channel by channel basis, then you're not going to be accurate. I think what's important to understand is like, are we hitting the target cost per acquisition for the business? And if you are, then you know you know you have the right mix. So I think I heard a nugget in there, and I want to see if I'm correct. You would increase the demand gen knowing what some baseline numbers for CPA could look like. And I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth a little bit here. But And then at the same time, you would increase the awareness budget knowing that you kind of had a baseline with your lower funnel activities at the same time. Not go, oh man, the, the lower funnel stuff's working. Let's just stop doing awareness stuff and keep going more lower funnel. You would, you would increase both knowing that it would work together. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Let's do that. I have you here. And just from a, a overall big picture marketing, I'd love to do... I've done this before in some other episodes. Let's do... I'm gonna, I'd like to do a thing called what I call underrated, overrated a little bit and by tactic because direct mails come up a little bit. And I think we miss a lot or we fall in love with different tactics. And let's just assume we know our audience and let's just assume we we have messaging that's that's working. And let's go through maybe some kind of marketing things that work or don't work. Let's start out with on the creative side, like testing. Did you, or were you a big believer in testing different creatives or messaging going out? So let's say underrated, overrated, testing. Testing, underrated. That's a big bucket. I <laughs> Underrated testing. And not just from a digital conversion testing, AB testing, all that shit, but like big campaign creative testing. Like you're going to launch a television campaign. You're, you're going to test that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think optimization and testing is is key, right? If you have, did, did you find there's nuances to the message, like based on where you had little tiny things on the ad creative, or little tiny things within the copy, or apply now versus go here now, or whatever, like from even the littlest nuances to the performance? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot, right? There's the kind of like top funnel stuff, which is the ad creative, and then there's when people actually get to your site. Right. And like, what's the messaging there? What's the experience? What's the call to action? I like to test like all of that and the visuals too. And on the ad creative. Are you testing it through, through actual media? Or are you testing it through partners pre-media? Directly in, through media. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, and I'm, I'm a so huge, you're not, I'm a huge proponent. Group. No, no. I've done. Okay. I've probably done a handful of focus groups uh, throughout my entire career. I think nothing can replace talking to customers, but I'm not a fan of like actual customers, right? I'm not a fan of talking like in a group setting. 
with folks because they kind of, in some cases, they're not truthful. They're there for the money. I prefer to actually reach out directly to customers and talk to them to really like dig in and, you know, figure out how they tick. And you can see that like in a lot of our figure ads, they're actual customers, right? They're customer stories. And I think anytime you can have customers selling your product versus you selling your product, you know, you're going to win every time. That's awesome. So heavy qualitative and then media testing, the call to action. Yeah. Okay. All right. Direct mail, underrated, overrated. I think I know your answer, but... <laughs> That's obvious. This is too obvious. It's underrated for other categories? Yes. And, and like I said, in finance, we get the luxury of target, like very specific targeting, right? And it, we call it like, it's called pre-screen. So you pre-screen someone knowing that if they come to your website there's a high chance that they will get approved and will get a loan or a credit card or whatever it might be. And you can also be, you can also get very personalized because you understand kind of like the debt load they're carrying. And so you've got a lot of triggers in direct mail when it comes to financial services that you wouldn't have if you were a casual brand. And so I, I kind of look at it as like, if you're a casual brand or, or like, like a Casper, right? If you're a Casper, like do you do direct mail, or is it better to do social? Because another really interesting kind of tidbit is for financial services, social's tough. It's a tough place to be because people are on social to, you know, somewhat disconnect and be casual. They don't want to see credit offers or lending or anything financially related. And so that's a handicap kind of from a financial services perspective, not having social as a, as a major channel. But on the flip side, a casual brand kills it in social because that's where their audience is and they have permission to engage because it is casual brand and not something more heady like finances. I mean, you bring up Casper, that's a great point. I mean, talk about trigger heavy brand where, you know, hey, you just moved. So you obviously, okay, you know, you probably need a mattress. If you're in a high density city, you probably need a mattress shipped to you. What did you call it? The casual screening or what'd you call it? Screening some... Oh, the ca- I love that. The casual brand. <laughs> no, no, I, I know I'm all the the screening where you where you oh, can screen pre-screening, people. pre-screening, yeah, pre-screening, yeah. That makes sense. We're an apparel apparel brand, obviously. Probably return on ad spend. Roa is probably pretty good in social. Although they're probably going to send you if you bought something from them at some point, they're going to send you the catalog to your house. I think that's a great point. All right, you kind of hit on social a little bit. What do you think linear TV versus connected TV? We, we heard a lot about that during the, the Super Bowl upfronts here in, in Phoenix. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, connected, obviously, going nuts, pretty targeted, pretty expensive. But what do you think? Underrated, overrated? Underrated. I think um, but more and more, like we could be a few years away from no more linear, right? You never know. Yeah. Because it's, it's risen like so drastically over just the past couple of years. And again, like, it's one of those things where in linear, you can't necessarily specifically target an individual or a group of individuals, right? Where on connected TV, you can, right? You can upload lists and target specific people and get your message in front of them however many times you want and how, depending on what you can afford. But I also think one of the really interesting things about connected TV is, you know, the cost of doing ads these days is a fraction of what it used to be. And so you can have, you know, these smaller companies can now do television from a connected perspective and make it work for them. They don't have to spend half a million dollars on an ad and half a million dollars on, on spend. You can create an ad for like 5000 and 
um, get it in front of your audience and test it. So there's a lot more flexibility now, I think, uh, for that channel than there used to be. No time like the present to be a challenger brand, in my opinion, just because the targetability. I would agree that. All right, maybe name a few overrated tactics out there. Oh, boy. Overrated. I'm trying to think. Terrestrial radio, uh, you know, um, email. I think email email filters now. For sure. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, Yeah, definitely email. The email staff forever was like, for every $1 you spend an email, you get 11 back, blah, blah, blah. blah. But I, I I think the email game's been a little overrated right now. Yeah. Well, maybe one more. Out of home? What do you think about out of home? Oh, you know, it depends. I'm a fan. Yeah. I like it. I like cheap seafood. Yeah, I just like the, what's the right word I'm looking for? Uh, the presence of the brand, right? On a consistent basis, especially people commuting. I mean, there's less people commuting now. I would say out of home, great. Pre-COVID, during COVID, it was like a fire sale. They were, they were trying to sell the billboards for like almost next to nothing. I know. And now it's like coming back a bit, but I still think, you know, I still see like real large in the Bay Area here, like real large out of home presences for like, you know, out front and, and clear channel, like empty. Yep. No, for sure. And there's been a lot more inventory hit the streets. What do you think? And I'm just going to around. What's some of the biggest mistakes you've made in marketing or you see being made right now from the brand side? I mean, I, I, I see it a lot in kind of some of the fractional work I do is, is not having literally the fundamentals of a brand you know, in the company, like down to the foundational core, right? Like mission, vision, values, you know, companies that haven't even like considered that yet they're, you know, they're out in the marketplace. But, you know, how do you explain to a customer like why they should do business with you and, and what you stand for as a as an organization? So I see that's a big challenge that I see out there. And then again, getting back to really deeply understanding their customer, the personas, um, and nailing that positioning and messaging. I couldn't agree more. And just a, a story, you know, I was at a, a YPO event the other day and the former CEO of Enjoy, which was like a, uh, they were a unicorn from Phoenix. They uh, were in the vape space, you know, again, not the do good space of the world for sure. Right. But I, I thought it was really interesting. We pressed the CEO, his name is Craig, great guy. He's, he's doing uh, VC work now. He's just super great guy. And he talked about, I think we, somebody might be like pressing like, well, what, you know, what is the deal? Like, how did it fail? <laughs> and he's like, I didn't understand my audience. If I had to do it over again, I would have talked to my customers and they would have told me these four things that <laughs> yeah. we completely missed the boat on that I didn't really believe uh, being on company side. And I lost touch with what the customers were telling me they they wanted. So I think that's a great point. Could you tell us a little bit more about your fractional work, uh, how people can get a hold of you for fractional work? I, I love that you're doing that. There's just so many, I hate to say it, but there's so many bad marketing people out there that you know <laughs> really don't understand and don't understand what it takes to be successful. And there's other people that don't understand even what good marketing looks like or when they have somebody that's really good at this really tough job. So talk to us about your CMO or fractional CMO work and how people can get a hold of you and all that good stuff. So I, you know, I work with right now, some of the clients I have are early stage, you know, seed series A companies in the tech space. And, you know, really like what we just talked about, like really getting that foundation set up for go to market. And people, if they want to get a hold of me, they can go to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. And I don't have a site up yet, which is terrible as a marketing person to not have a website for... Uh, for Here's the LinkedIn. 
<laughs> totally. yeah, pretty damn easy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm Brad on and, and reach out to him if, if uh, you know, you're looking for some fractional work, which I know a ton of, I, I get asked all the time. So it'd be good. Like Mike be another good, good guy too. I think he's doing more CMO coaching, but uh, this, this is great. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up. We're way over, but I, you know, again, I wanted to press you on some stuff. I love having high profile CMOs on. So thanks for joining us, Brad, former CMO figure marketing from SoFi, freecreditreport.com. Thanks for joining us. Uh, find Brad on LinkedIn and uh, we're going to end it. One in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to podcasts, head over to rebrandpod.com. We'll have all the summaries, episodes, our guests, contact info, all the good stuff. Of course, you can subscribe. We got a newsletter. We got all the stuff. You can reach out to us on social media at rebrandpod, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the stuff. I'm Sharky AZ on Twitter. You can also find me at Scott Harkey on Instagram and LinkedIn. Again, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We're, we're, we're close to 5,000 people that, that subscribe in less than three months. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, we want to continue putting that that content out for marketers. You know, we're not going to go the educational book route. We're going to go in the streets, marketing, street smart kind of stuff that's going to help us do our job better today. That's it for today. But remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. 